name is Katie Rios. I serve as one of the worship leaders here, and I have the privilege of reading this scripture today from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and Luke 5 through 13 from the NIV. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also has forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Thank you, Katie. Keep your Bibles open in Luke chapter 11 as we come to the last two weeks of this series on prayer, beginning with the Lord's Prayer and looking at parables about prayer. We've been asking the questions, what is prayer and how do I pray? And particularly as we come to the last two weeks before we turn the corner into the fall season, we're asking, what does it mean to continue and not give up in prayer? And let's be honest, it is very easy to feel like giving up or for some to not begin at all. So let's pray right now. Let's ask the Spirit of God to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the invitation we have to come to you, to bring our needs, to bring our requests to you freely through your Son, Jesus. We pray this morning if there's anyone here or joining us online who does not yet know you or has not yet received that invitation, we pray that today they would. And for those of us who have taken for granted that invitation, or maybe we have doubts, or maybe even cynicism has crept into our hearts, and we've given up praying altogether, or for some of us, we've given up on praying for specific things. I pray that as we learn from you, from your word, that our confidence would be renewed, that our confidence in your faithfulness will be restored, and that we would cry out to you in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher? We ask this together in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, there's a story of a man named Darby who, in the hopes of striking gold, moved to Colorado, staked a claim, and got to work digging at the height 
of the historic gold rush in the 1800s. And after weeks of labor, he was, he was rewarded when he discovered shining ore. And so as a result, he went and he bought this heavy machinery to bring it all to the surface, knowing that finding ore would potentially lead to finding gold. But as time went by, and as he kept on drilling, the ore was gone, and he did not find gold. So he gave up. He sold his machinery for almost next to nothing to a local junk man, and he took the train back home. But curious, the junk man, the new recipient of this heavy machinery, decided to call in a mining engineer to see if there was more on that site that could be discovered. And sure enough, they quickly discovered that had the original miner gone a little further, a little longer, and a little deeper, they would have discovered the gold vein, which the new owner did. The man Darby gave up too soon, not knowing that he was only a few feet and a little more time from solid gold. I use that story because in many ways that reflects how some of us have handled prayer. In the prospect of finding an answer from God, we get to work. We do the, the labor of, of prayer. But maybe we don't begin to see the answers. Not in the way that we expected or the time frame that we had hoped. And as a result, we jump to conclusions about God. We jump to conclusions about prayer. And in many cases, we give up. Maybe we conclude that God is detached. Maybe he is distant. We've developed a picture in our minds that maybe God needs to be nagged for anything to happen. We give up. Whether it's in prayer in general or for a few specific areas in particular, we need to ask the question this morning, where can we find confidence to keep on praying? How can we know that our prayers will be heard? Well, the short answer is found in a right understanding of who we are praying to. Last week, Dom walked us through the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector at prayer. And that parable was about our posture before God, how we approach him. But today, we're going to ask, what is God's posture toward us? How does he view us when it comes to prayer? And that is what the parables before us in Luke chapter 11 are all about. These parables, this teaching here from Jesus, follows immediately from what we call the Lord's model prayer. But this time, of course, from the gospel according to Luke. And here, Jesus addresses these concerns, this temptation to, to give up or to jump to wrong conclusions or wonder whether or not God hears our prayer. And he answers that concern by giving us a parable, a principle, and a promise. 
And we will look at each under three headings. Three things I want to say to you about God's posture towards you that will give you confidence in prayer. So how do we know that our prayer will be heard? The first point is this. Because God is available. He is available to you. And this becomes clear as Jesus tells a parable about a friend. Look at verses 5 through 8. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, underline that great phrase, I should have called the sermon today, shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Let's think about this parable because it's happened to us all. A needy friend nags you at the most inconvenient time. And if you are a parent of little humans, we all know that the absolute worst time that anyone can interrupt you is when your children have finally gone to sleep. Parent, can I get an amen? Parents? It is absolutely, if you have young ones, you've done everything. Like we used to put on baby Einstein, finding Nemo, the rocking chair, just to get our child to sleep. And they'd be asleep and you'd be like, step away, step away. Don't touch anything. And somebody knocks on the door and you're like, stop it, go away. My child is asleep. I mean, it's nuts. Like getting your kids to go to sleep is like a reverse hostage situation. You're like, I will give you anything. Just stay in bed. Just stay, go to sleep. What do you want? Money? I'll do anything. (laughs) To be interrupted in the middle of the night, it's the worst. So imagine, you've just gotten ready for bed. The kids are asleep, which is a huge deal. And somebody's like banging on your door and calling your phone. It's the worst. You're like, go away. Now in the ancient world, this kind of request for food from a friend would not be out of the ordinary. Hospitality was a cultural value in that time and in that place. In a day where there were no 24-hour convenience stores that you could go to, and if your friend was on a journey stopping by your house, you had an obligation, an ethical obligation to provide for their needs. If you didn't have it, you would find someone who could provide what you needed to feed your guest. There's a note of desperation there. Now, in our day and age, it's weird if anyone comes to your door and knocks these days, right? Somebody knocks on your door and you're like, what in the world? Kids, hide. (laughs) (laughs) Now, before we move any farther to our understanding of this parable, we all need to admit that we are the needy friend. We, where are we in the story? We are like the needy friend who does not have what is required. That is a posture we are to have in prayer. And in a way, that is part of the point in this story. We're needy people. 
Have you acknowledged this morning, friends, that you are in need? In a world and in a culture in which you are told so often that you have everything you need inside of yourself. You have everything you need. If you could just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you'll be fine. We live in a culture of independence and self-reliance. And in direct contrast to that, the Bible says over and over again, you are in desperate need of God. Do you realize that this morning? Or in contrast, you say, no, yeah, I know for the odd miracle, I might need to, you know, throw up the prayer to heaven. But for everything else, like, I'm good. Even if you're a Christian, you're a functional atheist in that regard. I'm good. I've got all that I need. And yet all the teachings of Scripture remind us over and over again how desperate we are apart from God. But we may wonder, some of you are like, okay, I get it. I'm in need. But will God be available? Where's God when I need him? And now we come to the main point of the parable. Please note, this is a how much more story. There are lots of them in the Bible. So the point of the story is not that God is grumpy and sleepy. And if you nag him enough, eventually he will wake up and throw something at you. Don't misunderstand the parable of Jesus. You're not to develop the idea that, you know, okay, pray. You got to keep knocking. God's like, what in the world? And the angels are like, there's Tim again. God's like, oh my gosh, that kid. He's always like, yeah, give me this and give me that. Like, I don't know, just give him a miracle. I don't know. The angel's like, which one, Lord? I don't know. Just pick one out of the cupboard. Like, give him any miracle. (laughs) Just make him go away. Like, sadly, that's how many of us view God. We view God like, if I nag him enough, he's like, fine, here it is. Go back to bed, you know. That is not the portrait that you get in any way, shape, or form from Scripture. No, this is a how much more story. Jesus is saying, if, even if a friend, on the, the sake of that, how much more will your heavenly Father provide for you? If a reluctant friend, here's the point. If a reluctant friend eventually responds to the need of their friend, how much more will a relentless God be attentive to the cries of his children? That is the point. How much more will a relentless God make himself attentive and available to you? Jesus is encouraging us to take shameless advantage of God's availability. See, When it comes to prayer, you will never find a verse or a lesson in the Bible that warns you against praying too much. It's not there. I've never read it. You'll never find a verse that's like, okay, okay, guys, so pray, but hey, be careful. Don't be heavy users, okay? Just pray for a few minutes, you know, but then like right about 10 minutes, you got to shut that down. Because too much of it will result in some funky side effects. Like, you'll never read anything like that about prayer. Because the problem is not that we ever pray too much. The problem is that we don't pray enough. And so, notice Jesus is saying, God is available. And this, this friend has the shameless audacity to take advantage of the availability of his friend. And Jesus is saying, how much more so? God is available 24-7. Come to him. 
Bring your needs to him. Even at midnight, it would be unthinkable that a friend would refuse to hear such a request. And the point is not, okay, go on praying, and if you nag God enough, he will hear you. No, it's go on praying because God graciously hears the needs of his children. Or to put it another way, our prayers do not make God available. Our prayers lay hold of his availability. He says, I'm available. I am attentive to you. Come, take shameless advantage of my invitation for you to come to me. See, this parable doesn't merely teach us to be persistent. It teaches us that we have a God who is always available, and that makes us persistent in our prayers. That we pray to a God who is always available. So ask. Maybe some of you this morning need to become aware of your need. Maybe that is why you have not come to him in prayer. Or it could be that you've de developed this idea of God that he's annoyed with you. He doesn't want to be available for you or to you. You could not get a better picture that combats that idea than the very teachings of Jesus. Have the shameless audacity to accept the invitation to pray and to ask. Why? Because God is available. Now, some of you are like, okay, I know that he's attentive. I know that he's available. That's good to know. But will he answer? Hmm? Will he answer? And to drive this point home further to our hearts, Jesus then teaches us this with a principle. God is not only available, but secondly, God is reliable. God is absolutely reliable to answer our prayers. After the parable, Jesus gives us this principle in verses 9 through 10. So, in light of what I just shared, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. According to Jesus, God eagerly hears the prayers of his people and therefore can be trusted to respond. If you would ask for and expect help from a neighbor in your time of need, how much more should you ask for and expect help from God in your time of need? He is reliable. He is absolutely faithful. We do not pray to make God reliable. We pray to lay hold of his reliability. And so the principle is this. God's willingness to answer your prayers should give you relentless confidence to pray them. He says, not only am I available, that's the first point, but I am reliable to answer. And so here Jesus uses 
three expressions for prayer that describe how we should lay hold of his reliability. So as we have just learned from the parable, that God can be approached at any time and under any circumstances, these three words now encourage every one of us to take that initiative. And those three words are ask, seek, knock. What do they mean individually? And what do they mean together? This is very important. First, he says, ask. Again, this implies that you and I, we are aware of our needs and that we are willing to ask for help. Which may be very simple, but easier said than done for many of us. If you're anything like me, you don't like to ask for help, right? Just talk to me about directions. Ask my wife, right? When we're lost, I'm like, got it. Got the GPS sat nav right here. It's like a part of my nature. I just know. It's like, why don't we Google? No, I got this. And in so many ways, that attitude extends to how I view God. Like, I just, no, I, I've got this, Lord. Yes, I might need the little miracle over here, but the rest of it, like, I'm good. See, it's one thing to be aware of your need. Many of you this morning might be like, yep, I've got a lot of needs. Okay, great. Are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to ask for help? Are you willing to cry out to God, to cry out to God with your spouse, with your friends, with your children, with other people in your community, at church? Are you willing to ask? We need God's help. Do not be embarrassed about how much your life and your heart needs God. Right? Many of us, we like put on the mask. We try to give this front of like, we're good. How are you, brother? Blessed. I'm good. What's going on this way? I'm fine. Need anything? Nope. How can I pray for you? Oh, just pray that I'll be blessed. Okay. But what if we admitted that we need help and that we need prayer? See, the enemy of prayer is not busyness, as is often said. The enemy of prayer is pride. Like, I'm good. I've got this. You need to ask. Are you willing to ask? Because if not, our reluctance to ask will keep us at a distance from God. And so Jesus says to me and he says to you, ask. But then he says, seek and you will find. What's the difference between asking and seeking? The difference is this. Seeking is asking plus acting. That's what seeking means. It's asking plus acting. The word denotes a search. Let me explain. As we pray, we must also then step out in faith and be active in obtaining what is needed according to what God supplies. Let me give you some examples. We should not only pray to know God's word, but we should also read our Bibles, right? Very simple. If you just have your Bible there on your desk or on the sofa and you're like, Lord, teach me your ways, and you never open the Bible, something's wrong. Someone who's like, I pray every day that God would teach me his word. I'm like, oh good, what are you reading? Oh, I don't read it. Oh, you need to add some seeking to your asking. 
Rather, you should say, God, teach me to know your word and open the book and study and read and learn, right? That, that is seeking. It's asking plus acting. God, teach me your ways and I am going to open your word and invite you to teach me. Let me give you another example. Maybe you're in need of friends or community. You should not only pray for friends, which you should do. You should ask for good friends and community within the church, but you should also seek them out. Okay? It doesn't just mean like go away to like an isolated mountain in Ojai and just pray to God for friendships and never talk to a human ever again. So we're like, I was praying for friends on that mountaintop. Like, what are you waiting for? Like a hawk's going to fly by and like drop a friend. Like, oh, you know, the friend drops. You're like, behold, a friend. <laughs> You pray like, Lord, I need community in this church. I need friendships. And therefore, I'm going to join a community group by signing up online at realityventura.com forward slash happenings page. <laughs> See what happened there? <laughs> I'm going to put myself in positions where I can get to know people and discover and develop those friendships. You want some more examples? Of course you do. Rhetorical question because I have the microphone. We should not only pray for peace amongst others in our community, we should also pursue it. Maybe you had a falling out with someone in the church, maybe some of your family members. Should you ask for peace? Absolutely, God, I need peace with my extended family members. I need peace with my spouse. I need peace with other people in the church, my friends, even my children. You should ask for that, and you should also seek. You should then Seek them out and say, hey, I want to offer or receive forgiveness from you. I want to pursue peace in my relationships. Or maybe it's practical. It's your job. Maybe some of you have a hard time finding work or you know you need different work. Pray for a job. Ask. And then go look for a job. Go seek it out. That is what is implied here in the term seek. We ask, we make our requests known, we seek. That's asking plus acting. But there's a third word Jesus uses here to encourage us to lay hold of his reliability, and that is knock, and the door will be opened. What does it mean to knock? Well, if we're doing the gospel math here, it's asking plus acting plus persevering. So what's he saying? Ask for what you need. Then step out in faith and keep on doing it. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Which is a difficult thing to do in our world of instant gratification. I want everything to happen right now. According to my own timeline. And yet Jesus calls us here to keep on persevering. And together, these words are powerful. And the fact that they are not given as suggestions, but actually commands, makes them even more powerful. So think about this together. The text in the original language is actually keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And all of this is in light of what he has just taught us in the Lord's model prayer. So we've been saying this summer, I don't want us to miss it. We've been saying over the last month and a half that the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer given for us to guide how we should pray. And so we should 
take the Lord's Prayer and introduce it into our daily prayer lives. Not mechanically, not religiously, but thematically. We should be praying for these types of things. But what Jesus is saying here is they're not just one-off prayer. It's not just an event. It's a lifestyle. So think about the Lord's Prayer in light of this parable. Keep on praying, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Keep on praying, your kingdom come. Keep on praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Keep on praying, give us this day our daily bread. Keep on praying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Keep on praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep on praying. Ask, seek, knock. Not that you would break down God's resistance, but that you lay hold of his reliability. That's what Jesus is saying. Friends, this is one of the most encouraging invitations to pray. And let's be honest this morning and admit that there's some things that we stopped praying for. Maybe for some of us, we stopped praying altogether. Maybe some of you are new to Christian faith and you're exploring and you're like, I've never even wanted to start. Could even be a specific area in your life. If you are a Christian, you're like, you know what? I prayed for like six months. This is an encouragement to take it back up and to keep on praying. The New Testament book of James says, you have not because you ask not. Think of the blessings and the transformation we miss out on because we simply have not asked. I think not only as a person, but as a church, it's very tempting to rely upon so many other activities in the place of prayer and stop crying out to God. But I suppose the difficulty for many of us are like, no, I get it. Ask, seek, knock. But maybe you trip up when you read where Jesus says, ask and you will be answered, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. See, some of us, we question God's reliability. Like, yeah, I'll pray. I'll keep on doing it. I just don't know if he'll answer. Many of us could probably call to mind, even right now in your own situation, like areas in which you're like, well, I haven't gotten an answer, so I don't know how that squares with what I'm reading here on a Sunday morning. How does this passage address my concerns about what we might call unanswered prayer? I want to address this for a moment because I think it's very important theologically, but it is also important personally. Are there some prayers that God does not answer? Does he or has he left some of your prayers unanswered? Well, if we read what the Bible teaches about prayer carefully, then the answer is no. God will always answer your prayer in a way that works for your good and his glory. But it is not always the answer that we expected. It is not always the time that we expected. It does not always come in the manner 
that we expected. And therefore, we often interpret that as God not answering our prayer. But listen, when you read what Scripture has to say about prayer, it's not that literally every single request according to your preconceived expectation will be answered. The Bible says that God will always answer prayer in a way that works ultimately for your good and for his glory. But it is not always the answer we expected. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, wrote a fantastic book on prayer, and he addresses this point, and it's worth quoting. He says, ultimately, there is no such thing as unanswered prayer from a child of God. Why not? We have the assurance that God, our Heavenly Father, always wants what's best for his children. Therefore, as John Calvin writes, God grants our prayer even if he does not always respond to the exact form of our request. Here's the killer line. In short, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. That's the gold line right there. You can take a photo of it if you want. God will either give us what we ask for or he will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knew. Trip out on that for a moment. How many times in my life, both in my family and with church and other matters, have I prayed for things so specifically and I didn't get the answers I was looking for or the answers that I wanted? But over time, and with the vantage of hindsight, I look back and I say, oh my goodness, God worked out this situation in a way that I could not have foreseen was even good or even possible. But through it all, he's worked it out to be even better than what I thought. I mean, there were so many times, I just think of, I was thinking recently of like church planning back in the days when we were you know, younger and starting out our family. We moved to LA to start this church, Reality LA. And like, I couldn't find a venue anywhere. We were supposed to launch the church. We'd been doing these core groups and prayer meetings. And we're like, we're going to have a church service, but I had no venue. And I went to all these theaters and there's this one that I had my heart set on in Hollywood. I was like, that's where we're going to meet. And people are like, yeah, the glory of God's going to show up in that place. And they're like, no. And the door kept shutting and shutting and shutting. And I was so frustrated. I'm like, I can't believe it. We like, we're launching this church, Reality LA. We have no place to meet. I don't know what to do. And I was just praying and praying. And, and I was like, Lord, I thought you gave us that space. And I was like frustrated. I was like, I didn't even want to do the church planning thing in the first place. When I met my wife, when I was dating her in Bible college, she's like, oh, do you want to be a pastor? I was like, no. But you made me do this thing, and now here I am. Get ordained and do a church plan or whatever. Now you're not giving us a building. The one I thought you were giving us, it's not there. And I was, I was literally honest. I was driving my 97 green Saturn. That was a beauty. They don't make them anymore. Anyone? Saturn? I'm driving it down Sunset Boulevard. I was hitting my steering wheel and like crying out to God. Somebody probably thought I was crazy. Although not out of the ordinary for things that happen on Sunset Boulevard as I think about it. <laughs> but I was so frustrated. I was like, God, you didn't answer our prayer. We're like weeks away. And I see a guitar center. I was like, I'm going to go to guitar center. Because I wanted to play guitar. It wasn't spiritual. I turned the corner and lo and behold, it's this like beautiful elementary school with this theater. I, call, I saw it. I was like, that would be a great place for church. Call that day. And they're like, yeah, sure. You can meet there. And that's where we met. And we left our church there. I was like, oh, Okay, Lord, 
I was so angry that you didn't answer it in the way that I thought, and yet you had something else. And now in hindsight, I'm like, of course that was the best place. How many of you who've been followers of Jesus for some time, you asked for things and you didn't get what you want, but with the advantage of hindsight, you look back and you say, hey, I wouldn't have asked for it at the time because I don't know all the things that God knows, but now I look back and I say, you've done all things well. And let me tell you right now, you may not be in that place yet, but when you die and you breathe your last and you're in glory with Jesus Christ, you will look back on your life and you will say, you've done all things well. Though you may not see it now. And so friends, this is a call to faith. God will either give you what you asked for or what you would have asked if you knew everything that he knows. He is reliable. And we must be patient. There are so many reasons beyond even our own reasoning or understanding of why God would answer prayers in ways that we don't expect. Sometimes it's a no. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes God will redirect you and point you in a direction that you didn't even think was possible. Because there's more happening in prayer than just getting your specific request. You are being changed. God is available. So pray. He's reliable and he will answer. But some of you, there's one more question. Some of you are like, okay, I get it. God's available 24-7. I can come to him. Got it. Noted. I know that he'll answer even if I don't always figure it out. Okay, got it. He's God. I'm not. But will his answer be good? That's the question for many of us. And that leads to the third heading. God is available. He's reliable. But thirdly, God is favorable. God is bent in your favor. He is inclined toward you. If the second point is about the certainty of God's answer, this third point is about the goodness of God's answer. And so after a parable and after a principle, Jesus then gives a promise in verse 11 and 13. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, notice by the way, Jesus just called everyone evil. We'll talk about that more in a moment. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I love that Jesus addresses us this because for some of us, that's what prayer might feel like for you. You're like, doesn't matter what I ask for, God just hands me something bad. I'm like, Lord, if it be your will, will you give me a pay raise? And God's like, because you asked that, you're going to go broke now. And you're like, damn. And so you're like, I'm not even going to pray anymore. God, will you heal this? Oh, it gets worse. God, may my kid come to know you. They rebel. You're like, no. Am I using this thing rightly called prayer? Like, what's the deal? I feel like I try to pray for something good and I always get something bad. But Jesus addresses this very thing. And he says, think about it. If you then being evil, what he's saying is, 
all of us are sinful. All of us are tainted by sin. We're still image bearers of God. Being a sinner doesn't mean you have no capacity for doing anything good, true, and beautiful in the world. We are image bearers, but we are all tainted by sin and in need of a savior and in need of salvation from God. But in this good created world, many people still will reflect God's image. You'll find all kinds of parents buying gifts for their children. He says, if you then, if this broken, evil, sinful, fallen world, even if that's the case, and even within that world, parents still know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Please don't miss the contrast. Even if sinful parents know how to give good gifts, do you think that your God will be less favorable towards you? Is that the picture that we have in, in our mind? We're like, oh God, would he bless me? He's like, well, you asked for an egg. Here's a snake. How do you like that? Oh, you want a piece of bread? Have a scorpion. Jesus puts it in such a, a vivid contrast. He's like, that is ridiculous. God is available. He is reliable. And he is bent in your favor. Think about how this changes the way you pray. Many of us, we have that image of God with his arms folded. He's like, come at me. Give me your best prayer. See what you got. And you're like, oh, I got a good one. Just went to church. Like, I'm ready. Lord's prayer. Hey, Lord's prayer. That's a good one. It's kind of guaranteed, right? Guaranteed results. But that's the wrong picture. God is always pictured with his hands outstretched. And so Martin Luther says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. I want to ask you honestly this morning, do you believe that that's true? Because that's what the Bible says about your loving heavenly father. And one of the best gifts that you could pray for is the very gift that helps you pray, the Holy Spirit the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't have to explain the Holy Spirit to people who were hearing him on that day, who were familiar with the Bible. The Holy Spirit, the third person of our triune God, the Holy Spirit involved in the creation of the world and who is involved in the recreation of men and women from the inside out. It was promised in the Old Testament, the way humanity's gonna get changed, I'm gonna put my spirit within you. The Holy Spirit changes people. There's all these promises in the Old Testament about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the prophet Joel in chapter 2 says, It shall come to pass afterward, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, don't get caught up in whether you're young or old. You're like, where's the middle age category in, in the book of Joel? He's saying that I'm going to make, the Holy Spirit's going to make God known amongst all kinds of people. We need the Holy Spirit. Our greatest need is God to make his home in us and change us from the inside out. Many of us, when it comes to prayer, we have our priorities. Well, God has his priorities too. There's no request that God would rather answer than the request for you to have more of the Holy Spirit. If you're not yet a Christian, you need God to make his home in you. If you've been a Christian for 50 years, you need a deeper dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's the promise here. And so do we ask to be filled with the Spirit? 
And what better evidence of God's favor toward you than for him to say, I want to make my home in your life. He's available, he's reliable, and he's favorable. So pray. Church, this morning, some of you may feel like God's given you a scorpion. He's given you a snake when you've asked for the egg and the bread. Maybe you've asked for something and it hasn't happened. Maybe you've asked for something and it seems like the situation's gotten worse. And you may be tempted to stop praying. You may be tempted not to ask for more of his presence. But listen, the Spirit is the greatest gift. It is God giving us himself, his anointing, his guiding, his empowering is far greater than many of the things we ask for. So yes, pray for your daily bread. And yes, pray for all these other things, but also pray that you would be full of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're asking for, keep on asking. And then also ask, God, ultimately, I need your spirit to lead me. I need your spirit to change me. I need your spirit to guide me. I need your spirit to empower me. We must put ourselves in the arms of our Heavenly Father and ask Him for more of the Holy Spirit and trust Him to work out everything else. But you might ask, well, who can have this gift? The answer is anyone. It is there for the asking. Well, how can sinful people have such blessings? When our sin deserves the opposite. God is loving, yes, but he's also holy. How can I be confident that God is favorable towards me? Well, the answer is this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came to live the life we never could have lived, and he went to a cross to die for us, to die for our sin. On the cross, Jesus took our place. That means that on the cross, Jesus got the scorpion. On the cross, Jesus got the snake. On the cross, Jesus got the sting of death that our sin deserves so that we might have the food from our Father's table that we don't deserve. It's all been accomplished for us and secured for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's how we can know that he is bent in our favor. Listen, church, there's never been a parent on earth who wants good things for their children as much as your heavenly father wants good things for you. You may feel this morning that you're like the traveler and you are desperate. And the truth is, we all are. But through Jesus, we can be confident. For with God, it is never midnight. He is never taken by surprise. He never lacks anything, and he is never bothered by his children's request because he's not merely a friend. He is our heavenly father. So let us keep praying. Let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for those who have given up on prayer. For many, it may not be prayer in general, but specific prayers that they've given up praying. Maybe it's for an adult child, redemption in their marriage, 
practical provision, reconciliation. Maybe because of our own expectations not being met, we've given up. And I pray today would be a turning point. I pray that we would all confess to you, God, we are not you. We do not know all that you know. We do not pretend to be God. We are going to trust you with the outcome and continue to cry out to you. God, I pray that you would encourage people. I pray that you would call people to continued prayer, back to prayer. And for those who've never prayed, I pray that right now they would pray their first prayer by saying, Jesus, save me. For anyone joining us online or in this room or outside who's never given their life to you and trusted in Jesus, we pray together that they would do that right now and say from their heart, Jesus, save me. I trust in you as my savior, that you died for me and rose again so that I could be forgiven and accepted forever. We pray that those men and women would pray that from their heart and experience your forgiveness and your salvation. And God, as we have this time to respond to you, I pray that we would and that we'd be changed as a result. In Jesus' name. Amen.